0: Passover series. We'll probably do about two or three more weeks of this topic, and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, But it's been a phenomenal series. In fact, at the back there, there are sets, MP3 sets 18 and MP3 set 19, that contain, I think, 18 sessions, 18 prior sessions on this theme of Passover that we have done. For me, it's been the most prophetic that we've done up to this point. We've explored many themes and many topics. This particular theme has been highly prophetic. I would really urge you, you one listening is insufficient. There's one uh, discipline you must get right in your Christian life. It's to hear something from your spiritual father, but then to hear it again, and again, and again, and to saturate your mind in the thought, I've realized, even as, as as mature as I am in Christ, I listen to my Father in the Lord. I listen to His teachings daily, almost. I I, I marinate my mind in it. It's biblical because Paul said this to Timothy: the things that you have learned from me, right? Hold on to those things. In fact, he said to him, "Teach no other thing than the thing that you have learned from me." There's safety in this. So I want to encourage you: marinate your mind. I would like every family to have a copy of those two. There are two. I noticed that a lot of people bought the first set. I made 20 copies of each. And set 18 went like zout, uh Went right down. Uh, but remember, it's in two parts. So get the, the latter part of it as well. It's good listening for the holidays. But you're glad to be in the house this morning. Amen. I want to continue with the third Passover that Jesus attended. We fed the 5,000. Okay, he fed the 5,000. Let's just read the first part of the text again. John chapter 6 from verse 1. John chapter 6 from verse 1. Okay, just to, just to get a context. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, by which, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, "'Where shall we buy bread, that these may eat?' Remember, what does Philip's name mean? A lover of horses. What does Psalm 20 verse 7 say? Some may trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we will remember Zaka, which is scar the mind. We will scar our minds with the name of the Lord. Please notice the scripture. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we, we marinate or bathe our mind in the name of the Lord. Question. What is the most comprehensive name of God? Father. You want to say Father. So the mentality with which uh, we, we live is one that is totally fixated upon the nature and the will of our Heavenly Father. Our Father is our worldview. Our Father paints our mindset, determines our mindset. So the question he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? He said to a lover of horses. In that context, someone one who depends on natural strength, natural human capacity to remedy a, a problem. So the, the, the problem was great. 5,000 needed to be fed. So you who loves horses, you who tends or has a proclivity to lean upon the strength of men. Sort this one out. <laughs> Sort this problem out. How can we feed this great? Multitude. And what does the scripture say? Verse 6. He said this too. This was Philip's test. Feeding of the 5,000 was Philip's test. And I said this to you. um, A number of things. I don't want to go to the details. But Jesus could have just provided for the multitude. But he used the problem as an occasion to teach a disciple a key lesson, right? It was Philip's test. Like he tested Abraham. Will Philip come into an understanding of grace that is able to provide for the multitude? Or will he naturally tend towards looking at human capacity to solve the problem? And which he does. Okay, he said this to test him. Because he already knew what he's going to do. Please realize this in every test that the Lord subjects you to. He already knows what he wants to do. He simply wants you to come into an understanding of his way. And not for you to rely upon your own ingenuity, your own mindset to get the job done. Okay? Every trial is an opportunity for you to grow into the ways of God. Every trial. Okay. So Philip. And true to his name. How does he answer? 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them might have a, a little. So true to his trust in horses. And not trusting in the name and the nature of father. He tends to natural means to cater for a huge problem. One of the disciples, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, this is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I'll talk more about Andrew maybe next week. There is a lad here who has had five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So the problem is big. The resources are few. Big problem, 5,000 men, not counting women. Short resources. Philip tends to human um, capacity. 200 denarii is not even fit or enough to supply the need. It was his test. Jesus then will start to demonstrate how that if you access grace, grace will cause you to go beyond what is humanly possible. right? The lad, let me just read the text. The lad, there is a lad here who's had five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. In Luke's account of the same narrative, they sit down in groups of 50. Men leading households sit in groups of 50. Jesus is about to take five barley loaves and multiply it. Jesus is the word made flesh full of grace. Bread is indicative of the word full of grace. Five is the number of grace. Five barley loaves. The grouping, the structure, the order that Jesus wanted was groups of 50. 50 is an amplification of five. It's amplified grace. The people had to create a context of grace for the miraculous to, to flow. And so when, when, the, when the place was structured and ordered, right? Remember, structure precedes the miraculous. There was no haphazard multiplying of bread just to satisfy a need. Jesus said, no, everyone sit down. Sit down in groups of 50. The reference to men is a reference to heads of households. So how does grace flow? Grace flows from a source called Christ, the true bread from From heaven. He administrates grace to an apostolic principle, the 12 apostles. Those 12 principal apostles would then transfer the bread, the grace, the word, to heads of households, all grouped in specific jurisdictions. And so members of families are ultimately fed with bread or grace because it came through a particular protocol. Everyone say protocol. God is a God of order and God is a God of protocol. But I want to, I want to encourage you what we're dealing with here in this, in this structured approach to administrating the miraculous. What we're seeing in seminal form here is the methodology by which God works to distribute grace to ordinary households of faith. This is symbolic. This is in type and shadow here in John chapter 6. You are a household. Remember what what was the lament of the man in John 6 who was uh, there for 38 years not healed? What did he say? I don't have any man. I have no man. I don't have um, a contact point. I don't have... Someone that can pour grace or word into my life that can remedy my my problem. In this particular context, the grace of God flows from Christ to the apostles, right? To the apostles, and the apostles would distribute that to heads of households, and each man, groups of 15 different jurisdictions, they will distribute that grace to their. To their people. And the reason why I'm saying this is. Never ever underestimate the privilege that we have in apostolic communities. It's an awesome privilege. Don't underestimate. You only know what you have when you don't have it. Not so. You only know how valuable a thing was when it's not there anymore. Amen. So I thank God for our placement. We are placed accurately. Amen. We are placed accurately. Come on church, do you believe this? Amen? We are placed correctly, we are placed accurately. In this Passover, one of the principles in in every series and session we dealt with, over 19 now, there were certain principles that God had to consolidate and bring to our remembrance. And He was telling us, make sure that that principle is set securely in, in place. And I hear the Lord saying, in this particular Passover... The time of the Passover was near, and Jesus is about to distribute the bread from heaven, right? Um, and, And he insisted upon protocol first. He insisted upon order first. He insisted upon structure first before the miraculous will flow. Amen? I want to encourage your placement in an accurate household is critical for your breakthrough. It's absolutely critical for the dispensing of grace. What you need is grace. Amen? Come on, church, do you believe this? I I really want to... Don't think this innocuous. Don't think this point innocent. Don't think this point, ah, not that serious. No, it's critical. Critically serious. That you are placed accurately and that you are in the flow of the transmission of the grace of God. It is critical to your survival. You know, Jesus would multiply... I like what the, the scripture says. Jesus... Remember, he gave thanks. Luke would say he gave thanks. He blessed the bread. Remember I spoke about this? There was an infusion of grace content into the atomic substance of the bread. Right? And the Bible says he kept, he gave it to the 12. And he kept, I like the emphasis in, the, in ASB. He kept distributing the bread. The flow of multiplication starts there with him to the 12. And they never stopped. Everybody's fed, and after everyone is full, how many baskets do they collect? There's 12 baskets, right? 12 baskets. And Jesus said this, collect everything, all the fragments, so that none remains. Was he just being a good citizen that he didn't want to litter the place with bread? After all, isn't bread biodegradable, isn't it? I think. It wasn't just a concern that we don't waste Because he makes this statement, okay? I won't read the text because I want to say a lot of things today. It'll take too much time. Because Jesus said this, Pick it up all because I'm going to raise it up at the last day. Alright? I'm going to raise it up at the last day. The five loaves of bread depict fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and, and teachers. The apostolic being the foundation of the fivefold. Right, fivefold ministry dispensing and multiplying grace through 12 men after they feed there are 12 baskets left over and Jesus said it must not be wasted because I'm going to raise it up at the last day he was talking prophetically he was saying in our day aren't we living in the last days come on question are we living in the last days so what was Jesus saying he's saying We're going to enact something now by feeding this multitude. But we are setting a pattern and a uh, a picture. We are painting something for what's going to transpire in the year 2015, 2016. This will be the the flow, the order by which I will work to ensure that my church is is full of the grace of God. Okay? And 12 is the number of the apostolic. Not so. The number of government, yes, but... God said, I will raise up an apostolic principle in the last day, in and through which I will dispense grace to heads of households, and they will in turn feed their families. The grace of God. Amen. So never ever underestimate connectivity to valid apostolic sources. Never ever underestimate that. It's God's methodology by which he works. Now, I was going to talk about Philip and Andrew this morning. But I think I'll do it next week because my heart is so uh, fixated upon the supernatural this morning, right? And I want to just bear reference to. Remember, the lad gave his bread and fish to Christ. Somebody had to give something to start the flow of the miraculous. Someone had to part with his lunch. What did the lunch mean to the boy? My lunch. And boys, what I know of them don't easily give up their lunch. <laughs> okay? My lunch is my lunch. So Andrew Andrew's name means manliness. Andrew comes to the boy, says, I think he scripture doesn't say I would think you would have asked the boy, Listen, young lad, <laughs> there's a need here. Five thousand. The master has requested that you give up your reliance upon what you have prepared to take care of your need. And you don't be selfish. Look at the corporate need and give up something privately to satisfy a bigger need. Right? And the lad gave that up. The moment that resource hit the hands of Christ, it changes possibility. So long as resource is in your hand, it's limited. But the, further, the moment you give it away and it changes hands into A graceful Christ. The potential for exponential multiplication is realized. Now I say this to you. That when something is given in the natural. But from the mindset of the spiritual. Natural things pass through the membrane of the spirit. A realm that does not know diminishing. That does not know uh, reduction or lessening. Right, If you give as a man, as a human, naturally, the realm from which you give is diminished by the amount that you have given. Not so. So you're the poorer by the amount that left you. Right, But not so in things spiritual. In the realm of spirit, when something is given from the realm of spirit, its intent is to multiply. So do you have spirit, by the way? Do you have spirit? Where did that come from? Come on, talk to me. If you die now, your spirit leaves your body, not so. Question, do you all have a spirit? So if I kill you now, which I won't, don't worry. (laughs) What happens? You die and your spirit leaves, right? Now, who gave you that spirit? When God gave you spirit, he who is spirit, was he diminished by the quantity of spirit he gave? No. When things in the super, in the spirit realm are given, they are given with the intent of exponentially multiplying. right? Same, this is why this will revolutionize your giving. It's changed my whole mindset about giving. Now we give fearlessly. We don't count the cost. Yeah, I'm testifying. And God has richly blessed us. We give fearlessly. Why? I'm not giving as a man anymore. I offer my bread. I offer my fish. And particularly if I do it privately with the intent of satisfying the corporate agenda is high on my, on, on, on my heart. So I give I give natural resource that passes to the filter of this, the membrane of the spirit realm, and that has the capacity to multiply. That is why it says, give and it shall be given back to you. The law of, sow, of sowing and reaping works because of this. We don't sow to reap. We don't sow with the intent of reaping. We simply sow to be obedient. Not sow. We simply give full stop. Right? But things come back to us because they pass through the filter of a realm that does not know reduction. Everyone say the supernatural. Now, I'm going to get to, I'm to, get to my notes because I want to do this properly. I'm going to skip through a, f- a few things here because of, of time. I believe, you see Jesus, after he fed the 5,000, the disciples got into a boat and they crossed the lake. Not so? 20 or 34 furlongs, they rowed. They found themselves in the middle of the lake. A storm arose. They were fearful. Jesus came walking on the, on the water. Right? And the Bible says, when Anute was him, they were eager to invite him into the boat. He got into the boat, and the Bible says, and immediately they were on the other side. Without rowing. In the middle of the lake, the Bible specifies how many miles or furlongs they had rowed to get there, but the moment Jesus enters the boat, the Bible says there was an immediate moment, I call it, where the rest of the journey was swiftly accomplished, not by rowing through human perspiration, but just by the presence of grace in the boat, the pace of the boat is sped up, and they arrive at their destination. Now, A crowd that knew Jesus didn't leave with the disciples when they left the shore. They look for him and they eventually find him. And they say to him, how is it that you're here so quickly? Because we know you didn't leave with your disciples. Jesus said to them, you have not followed me because you saw the signs. You are following me for the bread and the the fish. Everyone says sign. So the word for sign is seminion. Which literally means a miracle with a spiritual end and purpose. Miracles which lead to something out of and beyond themselves. Finger marks of God. Valuable not so much for what they are as for what they indicate. Listen. They're valuable not so much for what they are. But for what they indicate or point to. I gave you this illustration. If you're driving on the road and you see 100 K's to Johannesburg, the sign is not the destination. The sign tells you you got a way to go, the sign indicates a greater reality. When Jesus said to the, to the people, You have not followed me because you saw the sign, you only follow me because you, of the bread and the fish. The bread and the fish were meant to indicate to the people that he is the true bread that has come down from heaven. If you read the whole of John chapter 6, there's 71 verses. This whole discussion, Jesus fed the 5,000 to demonstrate that he is the bread that has come down from heaven. The fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but he was the, the true bread. Right? The true bread that come That came down from heaven. The sign of the bread. Was meant to indicate him. The person. The miracle wasn't a miracle in and of itself. It should not have been. For its own sake. It was meant as a sign. Pointing to a greater reality. If you stop at the sign. You're not at the destination. The sign points to where you should go. What these people did. They stopped at bread and fish. And they could not see beyond what the intent and objective of the bread and fish was. So he says to them, you have followed me not because you saw the sign, which is me. You're only following me for bread and fish. You're following me for what I can give you. You're following me for the immediacy of your needs being satisfied. You're not following me for my ways. You're following me for my works. Right? Remember what the scripture says about Moses and and Israel? I have it just somewhere in my notes. That Israel knew God's ways, but Moses knew God's works. I'll give you the reference shortly. It's in Psalm 103 and verse 7. Psalm 103 verse 7. Just quickly. Now, I want to teach this because we need to cement this within our lives once and for all. Most Christians, most sons of God, are provision-oriented. Not so. We exist day by day, and our our be-all and end-all is this in life. So long as I have enough money to live fairly decently, comfortably, I have enough money to pay all my kids' school fees or tertiary education fees. I can pay my car, I've got enough money for my rent or bond. That's it. I'll be fine. I can exist, and I'll be the most happiest person. But the moment you touch those issues, then my joy goes out the window. Right? Now some people are only following Christ with bread and fish in mind. You only you have a survival mentality. You, 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 your whole service to God is for existence, purely that I will be well taken care of. Now, I want to encourage you, we must pass over that one. That is a mentality that you must leave in this Passover. Let me just say, if you seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness, your needs will be met in any case. Because that is not the focus, Right? The objective of having your personal needs met is not a biblical objective to pursue. You always pursue God, His purposes and His kingdom. As a byproduct of that, God the Father will inevitably take care of you. Okay? But if your sole objective is, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, bread, fish, bread, fish, bread, fish, give me, give me, give me, give me, supply my need, and you never see that those Are actually signs pointing to greater realities, you'll never learn the bigger lesson. Right? The works of God must always lead you to the word or the ways of God. Do we have it yet? Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The King James Version of the Bible says, He made known his ways to Moses but his works to the children of Israel. You see Israel only knew how God works. They only knew the demonstration of God's power in the midst of them. But they never ever looked at those works and allowed those works to educate them about God's about God's ways. If the next time you are in the vortex of a serious need and God comes through for you, Don't be so just in awe and wonder by the fact that he broke through and you never learned the attendant lesson that God was, that God had designed to teach you about himself. Learn the lesson quickly, else the Lord will simply revisit the same thing over and over and over in your life until you have learned the lesson. You see, uh, I like the movie, uh, there's, there's a scene in the 300 where, the movie the 300. We're in the first battle, and they were the first assault by those Persians. The first assault by the Persians, and the 300 would stood. Remember in the evening, the men were in revelry. Not so? They're parting. And the narrator, the guy telling the story, says something like to the effect, and we were all celebrating except for one of us. And they show Leonidas, the leader, standing, looking over. He, He obviously is happy. But his men are just overjoyed by the victory of the day. But he wants to know the Persian mind. <laughs> what, is, what is your next plan? How can we face the next one? It's always a step ahead. And Some people, some children of God get so overjoyed by the immediacy of how God broke through. And if you don't learn the lesson, the point of your breakthrough becomes the start of your next breakdown. Simply because we have not learned the lesson. Okay. So I want to encourage you every time God provides. You know what? This Abraham proved this. He was about to kill his son, not so? And God provided, eh? What did he say? Jehovah Yirah. The fact of God's provision unlocked to him a dynamic of God's nature. He wasn't just overwhelmed by the fact that God provided. He allowed the provision of God to unlock to him an aspect about the the very, very nature of God. Okay. Now, I want to encourage you with this. You know, the reason why I say this, I want to encourage you to start to expect the supernatural. But, my only concern is, with many sectors of the church presently, there's an overt emphasis on the doing of God. God's going to come through, and He does, and He breaks through. But we don't administrate with, 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 with mature minds. We don't administrate what God does, so that what He does is either short-lived, and we never learned the attendant lessons with His actions, and what it could be said of the modern-day church, and the church of 2015 knew the works of God. But Moses knew the ways. There's like a stark contrast between two positions here. Just knowing works, knowing what can God do for me, as opposed to migrating to knowing the ways of God. Okay? Now, let me just say this to you. God's going to do supernatural things. I want you to focus and concentrate now. You have to position yourself for the supernatural. The feeding of the 5,000 at that Passover was a supernatural event. It was purely by grace and by grace alone. God alerted this to me that the possibilities are limitless when the environment is pregnant with grace. Source of grace, Christ was there. The means of communicating grace, bread, the word was there. Right? There was an apostolic community full of grace, 12 men. The men were in groups of 50, arrangement and structure by grace, Everything about that world was grace characterized, grace defined. And when our environment, not just Christ, not just the apostles, not just heads of households, but the people seated in groups of 50 amplified grace became a people of grace. In that context, nothing is impossible. And I want to encourage you, church. The primary communication of grace is through the word of God. Not so. Grace is filtered through His and communicated through His word. Now, if you look at the original Passover, let me read this text I asked you to read in Psalm 114. Can we read it quickly? Can we use the NASP? Psalm 114. I stumbled on this on the plane coming back from Mozambique. I was just reading the Psalms. I thought, wow, what a scripture! And then the Lord gave me this, this focus that I'm, I'm going to teach now for you today. Okay. It says, when Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Notice the context of this is when they went forth from Egypt. So the night before they came forth, they celebrated the Passover. And so they left a place of limitation. Of restriction, which is Egypt. And they were about to venture forth into their prophetic destiny. And this is what the Bible describes. When they came out of Egypt, they went forth. And now watch verse 3. The sea looked and fled. right, Jordan turned back. Mountains skipped like rams. Hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, the river Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains that you skip like rams or hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint, the hard rock, into a fountain of water. I like the imagery here. It says they're coming out. And I like, I like the drama, the dramatic way. This is painted in the scripture. It says they came out of Egypt. And the moment the sea sees them, the sea turns back. Jordan rolls back. Mountains skip like lambs. And I like, listen carefully, in verse 7 it says, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob. Now these things are natural things. Sea parting, the, the river of Jordan holding back. So they walk through, remember? These incidences, mountains skipping, water from a rock. It says, the natural environment responds to the representation of the Lord of hosts in His people. So at the emergence, watch. What comes out of Egypt? Firstborn sonship. Let my son, my firstborn son, go that he might worship me. So when we read scriptures like this, when, when, when Israel comes out of Egypt, I see it prophetically as, when there is, in a people of God, an ascension into, and an emergence into, firstborn identity. When your thinking and your life is scarred with the mentality that, I am God's firstborn son, right? I have the right of double portion. I have the right of the Father's blessing, right? I have the right of prophetic inheritance, when I come out, then the natural world will start to reconfigure itself to permit the purposes of God to be done for me. If there are obstacles, they have to give way. If there's a seas, they have to part so I can go through. That for me is a supernatural thing. I want to condition your mind, church. Stop operating normally. Now expect God to do the, the virtually the impossible. If things are standing in opposition to you, if things are standing as, as, as uh, roadblocks, impasses to your progress in God, I declare to the church this morning, God's going to supernaturally alter physical states simply to accommodate your migration. When Israel came out of Egypt, the sea recognized what was coming out and natural things respond to a spiritual representation of God in a people. Amen. I want, to, I want to endorse this. I want to rub it, massage it into your minds. Right? Don't be discouraged at the human impossibility of the thing that is staring you in the face. Because you know what in Psalm 84 it says something like this that blessed are they that love your house. Blessed are they that have their hearts set on, on pilgrimage, right? Um, Their sin. Each one of them will stand before God in Zion. It says something like this. And when they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a pool of springs. Valley Baca means weeping, depression, anxiety. You're down. But what? The psalm says, blessed is the man that is his heart set on? On moving. Tell anybody we're moving. Right? So uh, if you are Focused on growth, on progression in spiritual things. If you're on the move, this is not for the stagnant. I'm not talking to those that are just holding your, your place and no desire to move on. But if the Lord says to you, today you have your heart, say sit. It says, heart set on pilgrimage. Every time you move and there's an obstacle in your way, even if you have to pass through a valley that signifies stop and weep, when you come to the valley, the Bible says, they make it, not God, they make it a pool of springs. So the valley intended to depress you becomes actually an opportunity to revive you and refresh you. The valley of Bakar becomes a pool of springs. Right? Do not think it lightly, this message, church. You know, I'm trusting God. For, for some of you, you know. The 200 denarii is not going to work for you. If you rely on the 200 denarii to sort out the magnitude of your needs, it's not going to happen. You're going to need several lifetimes to do that. You're going to need supernatural intervention. I'm saying to you, you know, I don't generally minister like this. I, the Lord, literally, I felt a shift in my spirit. God is saying, Randolph, if you stay Within the structure of my grace, if you stay the recipient of grace from valid apostolic representations, if you live obediently to my principles, if you maintain your course and you pursue the path of migration, there's nothing that I will not alter in your physical world to ensure that my purpose for you is accomplished. Even everything you need will be, sir, will be supplied to you. Amen. So I want to encourage you, these are days of the supernatural. But, hear the caution of the Lord. I give them to you as signs. Don't be so fixated upon the the breakthrough when it happens, and you'll miss the way of God in the work of God. Always keep your, your gaze fixed upon His person. Learn the lesson, so that at the point of your breakthrough, it doesn't become the start of your breakdown, But rather, every breakthrough, I declare over you, will lead to further breakthroughs. Every breakthrough will will position you for the next one. Now, I'm intolerant of decrease. Now, this is where I am. I'm intolerant of stepping back. We cannot do that anymore, church. We have to grow from glory to glory. From strength to strength. From faith to faith. No more retreat. Tell someone, no more retreat. no more retreat. If you're not studying your word, I've sinned, I've stressed this in this house, study the word. You've got to become a word man. You've got to become a, a word woman, especially now in the season. December, the word of God goes out the window for most households. Stick with the word. Read the word daily. Fast if you can. Pray. Demonstrate to your world. I'm a man on migration. I'm going somewhere in the spirit right? I'm on the move. Amen? And this is a word, this is a prophecy. This is a promise to this house. Watch how God's going to alter physical states, simply to provide for the need that is attendant with you. Amen? I'm expectant. I don't know about you. This barren one is singing already. (laughs) Sing, oh barren. Eh? I like the image of the two barren women, the young and the old, the virgin and the aged, right? Both in a season come to a place of productivity simultaneously. Amen? I want to encourage you. The thing that you are pregnant with, Mary, young girl, somebody else is already pregnant six months ahead of you because they will birth something that will prepare the way for what you have to bring forth. John has to come before Jesus. He has to come as the preparer of the, of the way. The things that you are pregnant with, some are others, some others are pregnant way before you, because they will be facilitators even of your own journey. And I prophesy over you: God's going to bring you into contact, and there will be a leaping and a jumping in the womb when these two realms, when these two realms connect. Right? I speak prophetically. I speak. Sometimes in ignorance. But listen carefully. I'm sensing something in this atmosphere um, that God is going to expect divine connections. Expect divine connections. Divine associations. God's going to connect you with a strategic person. Strategic person. And when you meet, you will know. Sherwin, you will know. You've got a great destiny. I know some of the issues you're contending with now. You will know that this person is actually pregnant with something ahead of me that's going to prepare the way for what I'm about to deliver. It's going to happen. Amen? Hallelujah. It's going to happen. Now, quickly. Okay, we've got 10 minutes. Time goes in this place. In Acts 7 and verse 22, it says, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. So he probably went to the most prestigious universities in egypt right he was educated as a prince of egypt not so in all the learning of the egyptians and he was a man of power in words and in deeds moses was mighty in words and in deeds now i want to encourage you i declare a new season over this house No more will we only be mighty in words. Now we are going to be mighty in deeds. There's going to come a demonstration that we have not yet seen before. An administration of everything we espouse. Apostolic communities sometimes pride themselves over the fact that we have accurate doctrine. The fact that we have a superior doctrine. But the claim to have Accurate doctrine must be demonstrated by a superior lifestyle of obedience, love, and overcoming. If I see an apostolic person, I want to ask, where is the fruit of your overcoming disposition in this life? We are called to rule and reign in, in this life. Now uh, Tell someone next to you, now we want to see some fruit. We have enough doctrine, I mean... There's tons and tons of stuff that we've learned. Now, I declare, I'm I'm, I'm sounding forth, apostolically a new season. Now declares the Lord, you will be mighty in words and in deeds. Right? Mighty in words and in deeds. Two things. In Acts 2, verse 22, watch what it says about Jesus. This is part of Peter's Sermon on the Mount. Listen carefully. Men of Israel, Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. Okay? Everyone say attested. Right? Watch. It says, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men, put him to death, but God raised him up and putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. It was impossible for death to hold him. It was impossible for death for him to be held by the... By the power of death. But what does Peter say? Jesus was a man attested. Ask your neighbor, are you attested? <laughs> the word means the following to demonstrate, to exhibit, to show by argument. But it's not verbal argument, it's to demonstrate by something practical one's true identity and status in God. Jesus was a man attested by God, right? By miracles, wonders, and and signs. They were God's validation as to his identity. He would say of himself things like this in the gospel. If you don't believe me for my words, at least believe me for my works. For they testify of me. Right? So Jesus was mighty. Just put Acts 1 1 quickly. Jesus did and taught. He not only said, there were things that did, that brought attestation to who he, to who he was. The first account composed, this is Luke writing, He's writing to Theophilus. That's the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to. Notice the emphasis. It's not teach and do. It's do and teach. Remember Ezra 7.10? Ezra prepared his heart to study the law, to do and then to teach. I believe that um, we are now, yes, we be, will always be known as a teaching congregation, a word-centered community. But attending that is going to be mighty works. Mighty works, and this will bring attestation. Attestation. Everyone say attestation. Attestation. These will attest, exhibit, prove, demonstrate by argument, validate you, silence any critic about what you stand for. Because you can sometimes argue with a man's theology, but no one can discount your testimony. You You can argue all you want about theology, but when you say, come and see, I'm going to talk more about this next week. Because next week I want to demonstrate to you how these two individuals, Philip and Andrew, overtly demonstrate the principle of come and see. They asked Jesus, where do you live? What did he say? Come and see. The greatest invitation we can exhibit to lure people to this household is not a Facebook ad. We do that. I do it religiously. I do it three or four times in every week for as long as I can remember, right? But that's not the greatest carrot. The greatest thing will be the demonstration, overt attestation, by what God does in the midst of us. The greatest ad is not a poster. The greatest ad is a transformed life. Greatest ad is when people walk in here and say, see where our marriage was headed, but through accessing grace, See how vastly different things are now. See where our finances were headed. But by accessing grace, see where we are now. I love what Salvin said last week. But for those of you who are here, he said this. Aji. Remember Aji? Yeah. Uh, his son was? Come on. Shama, Remember? His son was Shema. This is 2 Samuel. His son was... What did Shema defend? A patch of lentils that were in ripe productivity. A Philistine. Remember the word "troop" indicates a beast. A Philistine beast came against this one man, but singularly, he's one of David's mighty men, by the way, one of the three, I think. Shema. He defended this field single-handedly against the beast that was designed to snuff him. Remember, the title of Saul's message was "Defend Your Field." Yeah. Are you still defending? Defend your inheritance. Defend your prophetic destiny. Fight for the life of your kids. Fight for your own life. Fight for your prophetic destiny in Christ. When this Philistine dust... Remember, Philistine means wallowing in the dust. Not so? When this carnality comes up, fight against it. Right? But who's Aji? Remember, Aji means what? Fugitive. One who runs away. Shama, who defends the field, his father is one who balegas. <laughs> he runs away from the battle, but he he, he, he's, he he stands in stark contrast to everything that his father represents to him. Why come on, talk to me why because of david who 's his covering under apostolic grace, the personality of a man is reconfigured he's able to face challenges where his whole father and previous Forebears were fugitives and running away from the battle, but he faces it. I, I want to challenge you. I'm going to pursue grace more than ever before. In terms of how it flows from valid apostolic fathering. Because I realize that component has got the capacity to reconfigure everything I am in my personality. Natural dispositions. You know, I'm a very shy person. You may not believe it. But I am what I am by the grace of God. Right? I see how grace alters states. And I want to encourage you. You can, you can rise up supernaturally out of your natural, even personality uh, trait. You can arise out of those positions and become the man of God and the woman of God that he has destined for you to be. Listen carefully. Romans chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. I love this portion. Just love it. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says the following Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be what? Declared to be the Son of God with power. Everyone say with power." power. The word here is dunamis, right? With power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. Now, in the first two instances where Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, the first one happened at his baptism. When coming up out of the water, remember the Bible says the heavens opened and the Father spoke. What did the Father say? This is my, my beloved Son in whom I am. There was a declaration from the heavens, a verbal pronouncement, it is my Son. The next, the second time that thing happened was in John, where on the Mount of Transfiguration, you mem- remember the spirits of Moses and Elijah met to, to discuss his death. But Luke says, and they discussed with him his decease, the cross, the cost of the cross. Right? And remember, he was, his body was transfigured. Peter, James, and John, the three in the circle, were there up the, on the Mount Peter, in his first chapter, in his first epistle, actually says, we were there with him on the mount when this happened. And we heard a more sure word of of prophecy. A voice came out of the heaven saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. First one is, this is my beloved son in whom I am. Well, please. Second time, this is my beloved son. Listen or hear hear him right moses represented the law elijah represented the prophets jesus in essence is like the psalms remember on the road to Emmaus? he opened the law the prophets and later the the psalms the psalms no one can read the psalms the psalms is a very theological book but it relates personal circumstances of a of a of a person who's imbibing the principles not so so, it's like the law and prophets come to vest and rest in the Psalms. So, Jesus is the sum total of these two dynamics, right? Now, but that was the second time. The third time is this, what we're reading about. I like the word. It says, everyone say, declared. He declared. But there was no declaration when he, de- when he was raised from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was no voice from heaven saying, like we read in other times, now this is my beloved son, who is now being raised from the dead. No. It simply says he was declared to be the son of God, right? With, everyone say, power. It says he was declared to be the son of God, not by a verbal pronouncement, but by a powerful, visible enactment. Not by what he said, but now by what he does, he will speak. You're in the spirit, right? A verbal pronouncement, yes, first time, second time. Now third time, God says, I declare you as my son. I won't utter anything. I will do something so supernatural, powerful. I will raise you from the dead, and that will silence once and for all, everyone who questions your identity as my son. The resurrection from the dead was God's final validation and attestation to the fact that Jesus was his eternal son. Right? No one could have, even before he rose from the dead. Remember when he he was crucified, what did that centurion soldier say? Surely, this was. He didn't hear something from heaven. He said it. This was the son. Now by what God does, people will regard your state. But now listen carefully to the next verse. Was marked out as, or declared, okay? Declared to be the Son of God with power. The word declared is horizo. Everyone say horizo. Right? It means to mark out the boundaries of a place. To mark out definitely, hence to determine limits. To mark out the boundaries of a place. Hence, to determine limits. Now, everyone say determine limits. Now, it's amazing that if we know this principle, like we get the English word horizon, and the horizon is the furthest point you can see, right? Where sky meets sea or land. You see into the distance a line. It's an imaginary line. It's not there. If you go there, you will find out it has, it has shifted. Now think about this. Uh, Pastor Thaum always said to us God's horizon is his sonship. Further God can see in you is the fact that you are his, his son. Okay? But now the Bible says here he declared Jesus to be, he result. Him to be the son with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now just watch. Acts 17 verse 30. This is the last one. Acts 17 verse 30. It says the following. Just quickly. You've got to see this. Because he fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished what? 31, sorry. 31. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that's Jesus, whom he ordained. He has given the assurance of this by all. By what? By? Can we have the new American standard? Is it? The, do you have a new American standard? He has furnished proof to all men by doing what? By raising him from the dead. But by raising him from the dead, the word fixed there is the same word or result. Fix the day, right? And listen carefully. Now, this man who is now raised from the dead is what? He's judge. The point I want to make is this. Jesus died and was the victim. He was at the receiving end of the law, the Roman law. He was found guilty by their standards, although Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And... He, was, he, he suffered the most cruelest death on the cross. He died, three days buried. God, the Father said, Now I won't say anything from the heaven. I'm going to do something for you. I'll raise you from the dead because the power of death cannot even hold you. I will raise you from the dead, but my resurrection of you from the dead will be my final declaration over you that you are my son. But when I raise you, your victim... You won't be the victim anymore. I'm going to raise you, and your role and function now will be one of judge. Okay? So, listen carefully. Prophetically, what I'm sensing in the Spirit is this. God's going to do some supernatural things. That's going to bring validation to who you are and what He has called you to do. No one will be able to doubt it anymore. It's going to be an attestation of God's will for your life. Right now, says the Lord, you might have many uh, people that are scandalously calling into question what you are called to do. You might have many mockers and scoffers. God says, I'm tired of arguing with them anymore. Because now verbal engagement will not alter their mind. Now let's, let's put that aside. Now I will do something. So demonstrative in your life. That when the people see the signs, they will not be able to question the fruit that is born from that. Because while they can challenge your word, no one will be able to challenge my work, which for you is a sign of a greater reality that I want to to demonstrate in your life. But know this, declares the Lord, when that happens, your role and function is now going to alter in the minds of men. You're now going to come into a new place of authority. You were the victim, but now you will be the judge. Those that judged you, you will now elevate. And their destiny, you will hold in their hand, declares the Lord. Right? I want to encourage you, church. I I don't know what this means for you. I don't know. I'm speaking prophetically. I don't know what it means for you privately. All I sent in my spirit, God is saying, you you were the victim of a process. And you suffer at the hands of men. And people have questioned you now. And some people disregard you now. But watch, declares the Lord, how I vindicate you. Watch my doing. How I raise you from the dead. They killed you and they left you for dead. But the Lord says three days have passed. I'm talking spiritually. On the third day you will rise again. I will raise you up. With such credibility in the eyes of men, no more will they be able to point a finger because God says, I silence their mouths even now as I speak. Your, your natural state, you're coming out of Egypt, the natural world is going to reconfigure itself, adjust to accommodate the representation of firstborn sonship that you are still pursuing, declares the Lord. Right? No more verbal pronouncement, no more arguments, no more reasoning. God says, watch my works, and watch how my works in your life will speak on your behalf. I sense the justification. I don't know why I'm speaking like this. I sense it very strongly in this house this morning. I want you to grab this truth. You know, you know one, one work from God, one thing that God does will do more for you than your ability to call a meeting, and to justify yourself before men. God through one sovereign act. Will silence everyone. God says through one act. I'll raise him from the dead. It will be my final declaration. That he is my son. No one will be able to question that. Because now it's a proof. My final proof. I will declaim. Now watch. Horizons now shift. When God says I de- I orizo my son. His horizons shift. And He begins to venture forth into a new sphere. Come on, are you sensing this? Grab this in your heart. Grab this in your spirit. Grab this as a... I'm grabbing this for my family. Right? For my boys and my girl and the other girl. <laughs> I'm grabbing this for the entirety of my life. Right? I'm saying God shift our boundaries. Large the place of our tent. Right? Silence every negative, scandalous word against us, once and for all, by a resurrective act of power. Things that are, you know, dead means dormant, inactive, latent. Start to, start to raise things up that we have even put on the shelf, and we've left for dead. God says, I'm activating that, reactivating that now. And God says there's going to be a visibilization of it. So tell your neighbor, roll back the tombstone. Right? Roll back the tombstone. Tell your it's Passover. Passover. The transmission of grace in a place causes natural things to alter their state. And what was designed to diminish will now start to exponentially multiply. Amen? I believe for all of your lives, you're going to be positioned to handle such a vast uh, 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 array of resources that it will, it will literally amaze you. Then we can say like the psalmist David, this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing. No man could have done this. No human agency could have got this result. You'll stand back, lift your hands and say, this one is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Come on. Lift your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah, Father. I felt this whole, this whole emphasis in the plane coming back from Mozambique. And I, the flight was about almost three hours and I typed all of this, a lot of this on the plane, just thoughts and I was hearing the Lord speak to me. If ever I know that I've heard from God, this I know, that this word today is born and spawned out of the heart of God. You might not be homiletically polished might not be systematic didactic as you would expect i'm saying look past all of that just hone into hone and and grab for your life say god you're going to declare me to be your son your daughter you're going to do some supernatural things i'm coming out of egypt see the sea fled it says the jordan rolled back mountains skipped hills leaped A stone gave water in the wilderness, purely at the representation of firstborn sonship migrating to a place of accuracy. So we lift up our hands, Father. In fact, let's stand, church. Let's stand. We lift up our hands. Without wrath or doubt. We anticipate the supernatural. We expect the miraculous. Things that you're going to do are going to leave us in wonderment. Awe and wonder at what you do. Father, we will say this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. I thank you, O God, that what the enemy sought to kill, you are about to raise. What the enemy thought, that he would snuff out through False accusation. I thank you, O God, in this season, you bring vindication and justification to your sons and your daughters. I decree that every critical spirit is silenced. I bring into judgment every word that is spoken against us. I condemn it in the name of the Lord. This is the privilege of the sons of God. No weapon that is formed against us prospers. Every tongue that is raised against us, we shall condemn. So, Father, we condemn every negative word. It will not work. We erode its power in the name of the Lord. I declare once again over you church. Like I did two weeks ago. You are blessed. I bless you in the name of the Lord. And what is blessed no man is able to curse. In Jesus name. You are blessed as a firstborn son of God. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you and your kids peace. Blessing the city and the field. Thank you, Father. Father, we anticipate resurrective acts of power. Resurrective acts of power. Come on, church, say that. Resurrective acts of power. Say it again. Resurrective acts of power. Thank you, Father. Your word declares it. You declared him to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead through the Spirit of holiness now lift your hands church we commit to be holy we commit to be righteous especially in this season we will not taint ourselves with sin we maintain our our difference our holiness in you god our distinction in you by the spirit of holiness these things will be done by the spirit of righteousness by the spirit of purity these things will be done in jesus name Hallelujah. Amen. Come give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen.